0: Welcome to the conversation at AirSafe.com. I'm your host, Todd Curtis. On April 15, 2019, I had a conversation with radio station CFMJ of Toronto, Canada, where we discussed two issues an ongoing issue with the Royal Canadian Air Force with maintaining their C 130 cargo aircraft, and also the ongoing investigation into the crashes of the 737 MAX and what role, if any, the relationship between Boeing and the FAA had in these crashes. now back to Global News Radio 640
1: Toronto. All right, let's talk a little bit about air safety. It's been a bit of a blow. We're going to hold what happened in our mind here. We'll get back to the 737 MAX. I'm still not over that. It raised a lot of questions. And now, here's another one. I mean, it's not our commercial airlines, but the RCAF is apparently facing a lot of troubles getting parts for the C-130J Hercules transport planes. And wait for it, they're having to take wheels from older aircraft. And so here we have the Canadian military's main fleet of transport aircraft and with more problems. All we do is hear about these problems. So we've got that, and we've got the 737 Max. We, we now realize that the a fatal event rate of that airline, airplane is much higher than any of the prior 737 models. We're finding out more and more, and as we know, we discovered that there was indeed, Boeing said, an issue with that airplane. Joining us as we talk about what this does to confidence and what it says about airline safety is Todd Smith, air safety and aviation expert. Todd Smith, good afternoon to you.
0: Well, good afternoon, Arlene. And uh, point of information, uh, it's Todd Curtis, but Todd Smith will work.
1: Ah oh, right. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry here. It says Smith, but all right. Curtis Curtis it is. Todd Curtis, what do you make of this? Let's deal with the military planes. All we do is seem to hear these days about older airplanes or older wheels. We don't have anything bright and shining new here.
0: Well the issue with the C-130 in the Canadian uh, forces is that the aircraft has actually been in production for over 60 years. It's one of the uh, oldest models in continuous production anywhere in the world. And although the aircraft in question, the C-130H uh, version, is the newest model, it actually has commonality with a lot of parts from the older model aircraft. So I'm not familiar with the C-130 specifically, although I was an Air Force uh, flight test engineer in the U.S., I didn't work specifically on that aircraft model, so I'm not speaking as an expert. But in general, when it comes to aircraft that have been in production for a long period of time, often some parts of the aircraft are improved and changed, but other parts remain the same. So unless there is some very difficult, uh, well, if there's some things going on where they're using parts that are not specified for that aircraft, then there'll be a problem. But if it's specified for both the older C-130 and the newer C-130... Shouldn't be a problem using older parts on this airplane.
1: What about Canadians who are reading this and listening to this and say, you know, it just gives you a funny feeling. It always seems like we're kind of holding things together with crazy glue when it comes to military aircraft and we can deal with that. Is that is that a correct assumption? Or as you're saying, you know, the reality of it, sometimes the old stuff is still good to go.
0: Gosh, uh, crazy glue and uh, duct tape sometimes are actually useful in aviation. It's not just a Canadian forces issue. Uh, Military organizations around the world often have to make do with what they have. That is, they may have aircraft that may literally be out of production. They may have to scrounge parts from aircraft junkyards. They may have to improvise in the field to get things flying. And unlike airline travel where the airlines are there to meet schedules and they have a certain responsibility for safety, cleanliness of aircraft, etc., military forces are mission-oriented. The mission is more important than creature comforts of the crew sometimes, but it's not more important than safety. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Canadian military does things that are a little bit uh, out of the playbook sometimes to get the aircraft up and running, but I seriously doubt they would do anything That would put the servicemen and servicewomen of the Canadian forces at any extra risk.
1: All right. As you say those words, I say, okay, that makes us all feel better. However, I'm going to throw this into the mix here. You know, covering the 737 MAX, here we were, Canada and the United States, two of the last countries in the world to ground those planes. Now, I heard and talked with people exactly like you, who right when this happened, got into the process. And they said sentences very, very much like you're saying here this afternoon. Uh, There is a process, I believe in this and then don't we find out there is a connection and there was a problem is there a hangover in your opinion todd curtis after that 737 max because we're talking about the psychology of things here
0: well a hangover with respect to public perception of aviation safety certainly certainly i've seen that happen again and again in the 20 plus years i've run my website airsafe.com that is I look not just at the engineering part of safety, which is what I did professionally, but I look at the reaction that regular human beings have to something like this. And certainly what happened in Ethiopia was one of the more extraordinary levels of interest in the last 10 to 15 years of what I've seen. And part of that was due to the fact that there were roughly 30, uh, three dozen countries that had citizens who died in that plane crash. This was within minutes a worldwide concern. So I'm not surprised that many countries stepped in fairly quickly and did what they think was the prudent thing and ground the aircraft.
1: Are you surprised with your experience that there was an issue here? And that the process may have failed. The belief in the process failed. There was a fault that we understand. There is something they're correcting. And we heard about manuals and noses up and down and special things that you had to do. It was hard to listen to as somebody who flies.
0: It is hard to listen to. And any time there's a crash that kills people, like what happened in Indonesia last year and Ethiopia last month, it's indicative of some kind of failure, maybe a systemic failure with something long-term like the design of the aircraft or the certification of the aircraft, a failure in maintenance, a failure in operation. And one of the things that's done immediately, one of the most important things, is to bring to bear all the resources necessary to figure out exactly what happened, why it happened, and how it can be prevented in the future. So certainly, these uh, two tragedies uh, speak volumes about some kinds of failures going on. And it will take time and a lot of effort to figure out whether these were human, technological, or some combination of the two.
1: I know, but we did learn that there was a problem. They're correcting something. You know, has there been a a a putting out the responsibility to the manufacturers of these airlines? We understand that Boeing had a lot of power here, and that years ago, perhaps it used to go to others that didn't have skin in the game. They weren't members of a company. It was part of a different process. Have we been... On kind of uh, contracting out some of this responsibility what is your takeaway as a aviation safety expert looking at what went wrong there
0: well, one of my experiences in aviation was working at Boeing in the safety engineering department during the time that the Triple Seven was being produced, and the process that's being talked about in some quarters now—the fact that there are FAA responsibilities for certification, but there are Boeing employees who are acting on uh, at the behest of the FAA—that's something that's been going on for generations. And on the surface, it looks like there is an obvious potential for a conflict of interest, and it's true. There is a potential for conflict of interest. But I can tell you from my experiences in the 1990s with the 777, uh, that potential wasn't realized. I didn't see a single event where myself or people I work with or the engineers within Boeing who were working on behalf of the FAA felt that they were excessively pressured or that they were somehow convinced to do something that wasn't in the, in the best interest of, of Boeing and the FAA and the public at large. Now, going fast-forwarding to today, I'm not sure if it's exactly the same process that happened with the 737 MAX. And I'm certain that the investigative authorities in the U.S. and elsewhere will be asking those questions. And the NTSB and the FAA will be asking themselves and Boeing questions about how was this done with the 737 MAX? And was something done that was radically different from past aircraft programs?
1: Todd Curtis, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it, Todd.
0: Thank you kindly. Thank you for having me.
1: Todd Curtis is an air safety and aviation expert as we talk about uh, news and the safety of airlines. And let's face it, that 737 MAX hanging and leaving a little bit of a a psychological problem. There were people taking those airlines and, yeah, they pulled them. And, yes, they're going to fix something. What went wrong with the process? And psychology is such a big, big part of flying. And we know we get all the stats and figures just how safe it is. And it is safe compared to lots of other modes of transportation. But here we have it. There were people who believed in it. And the next thing you knew, the next week they were pulled and they're making a correction. Hard to just throw that out of your mind when you are a frequent flyer. I'm Arlene Bunn and in for John Oakley. This is Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
0: For more information on airline safety and security, please visit airsafe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.